everyone, and thank you for joining me on the My Modern Mat Top Artist Podcast, where we share some of our favorite creatives to inspire your own creativity and connect you to the global art community. I'm Sarah Barnes, an artist as well as a writer and editor with My Modern Mat. I've always been fascinated by how artists make money from their art. The idea seems so elusive, especially because it can feel totally daunting to figure out a creative direction that will give you artistic freedom while also being profitable. That's why it was such a pleasure to chat with my next guest, Sarah K. Benning. I've known Sarah for years and even wrote a book about her work. She's an artist working in embroidery and has made a name for herself by stitching vibrant portraits of plants, often in gorgeous spaces. But beyond that, Sarah is savvy and has learned to leverage her talent and massive Instagram following into a sustainable business. But it wasn't that Sarah just woke up one day and decided to embroider the likes of cacti, begonias, and monsteras. I wanted to know about her journey. What inspired her to teach herself how to embroider and why plants? She'll reveal how she knew she was headed on the right path and how producing this type of work has made it possible for her to continue to explore her creativity and figure out what's next. If you'd like to connect with Sarah's art as we chat, make sure to click the link in the show description to see her work and follow along. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Sarah, also. (laughs) (laughs) I'll say right off the bat that we've known each other for several years. I wrote a book about you and your embroidery called Embroidered Life that was published in 2019. But it's been a while since we've really chatted like this. Um, So first of all, how are you doing? How is winter in New Hampshire? Yeah, I mean, it's good. Winter in New Hampshire is hard. We've been here now for, this is our third or fourth winter. And I think it in some ways gets easier to adjust to the short days and the cold temperatures. Um, But in other ways, it's just like, it's a challenging season every year. But otherwise, you know, all things considered, I am doing well in this moment (laughs) right now. Yeah, you didn't grow up though in New Hampshire, you're from Baltimore. Um, Can you talk a little bit about your artistic background? Because I know that you know, Baltimore and specifically where you went to high school was influential in your work. Yeah. So I, um, I did grow up in Baltimore. Well, my mom and I moved there. Um, and my, my stepmom, we all moved there as a family in 1997 or 1998. So I wasn't, I wasn't born and raised there, but, um, and then I had the good fortune of attending, um, a co-op, a uh, private school for elementary and middle school called the Greenmount School, which was really focused on sort of experiential learning and um, art and music and outside time. And then I went on to go to the Baltimore School for the Arts, which for anyone who might not be familiar, it's a performing arts public high school in Baltimore City that splits up the day halfway between regular academic school and then half the day doing arts and there are different departments spanning visual arts, which is what I was in, and then performance and music and theater and dance. Uh, and I think some other, I think it's even expanded a little bit since I was there in terms of the options. So my experience at BSA really did sort of lay the groundwork, I'd say for what I do now. Um, I did continue on to get a BFA from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, which was a really different kind of experience than BSA. BSA was super foundational, just skill building, whereas SAIC was a lot more conceptual and and thinking based. And post art school, those cumulative eight years, I was pretty burnt out and actually turned to what I do now, which is um, embroidery. 
as my primary medium. And I found my way to that sort of as a reaction to art school. Uh, I was looking for a way to stay creatively engaged on a personal level and keep my hands busy and kind of play with materials, but in a realm that I felt at the time was very removed from kind of the pressures and expectations of making fine art and kind of participating in that traditional fine art world. Um, My feelings about all of that have shifted and moved around and changed over the past seven years or so in terms of like distinctions between craft and art and uh, business and, you know, everything gets blurry, but that's kind of the the basic trajectory. Yeah. And you said you made more money one week than you did from your embroidery than you did like working. And so you took the leap and, you know, quit your job. Yeah. So um, right out of college, I moved from Chicago to Albany, New York, and um, took a job nannying just full time um, in a private home. And during that period, I started to embroider. It was something I could take to work with me and kind of pull out during downtimes in the day, nap time, kind of quiet time. Um, and I was just sort of accumulating work. Like I, I started out stitching on paper and I was making cards and just kind of for fun. And eventually I was convinced by friends and family to put everything on Etsy and just try selling it. Um, and so it took about a year and a half of sort of building my Etsy shop and honing my kind of style and voice that I was wanted to present back then, which is a lot different than the work that I make now. And it's, it took about a year and a half before I reached that point of like having a better week in online sales than my actual paycheck, which at that point I was working at a Whole Foods um, in the floral department, which was a super fun job, but also one that I wasn't super sad about leaving. Um, and I just reached a point where I was working full-time on my embroidery and my Etsy shop and full-time during the day to get that paycheck. And something had to give. Um, working 80 plus hours a week is not a sustainable existence. And I knew that I wasn't going to be happy long-term sticking it out at Whole Foods um, or any other kind of day job. And I knew that I wanted to just kind of take that chance on myself. And, and back then I was 23 and we lived in a little apartment in Albany. It was, our cost of living was very low. I was extremely privileged and fortunate to graduate from college without student loan debt. So I just, I had a lot of flexibility to take that risk. And I had a lot of backup support if I needed it. And I kind of always had that mentality of like, well, I can go back to the grocery store, or I can find another nannying job, or I can be a barista, or whatever. Um, but I'm not going to be satisfied if I don't just try this whole self-employment, creative employment thing. And did you see once you started to sort of you took this leap, you did something that I think a lot of people would love to do, but there it's really scary. Um, did you find that in doing that, it sort of propelled your work in a way that? continuing, if you had continued to work full-time at Whole Foods and whole time, full-time on your embroidery, you would have kind of been a little more stagnant. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that because I was used to that really intense schedule of two full-time jobs, essentially, letting the one go meant that I could work 
60 hours in a week instead of 80. And that actually felt really great. And I've like since then been whittling it down to like a more normal um, workload as, as my business has sort of grown and evolved in a way that is more stable. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think back then, you know, it allowed me to invest more time in the work itself. So I expanded from making really simple hand-stitched greeting cards into really simple kind of home decor items, which then I found more time to make more complex home decor items. And my mindset started to shift from like, I'm making home decor to, you know what, maybe this is, um, this is my artwork, you know, that divide that I had mentally built up for myself was starting to kind of come down and get a little bit softer. What would you say was sort of your breakthrough piece where you really were like, okay, this is really working. I should do more of this to sort of build on this momentum. Yeah, it's a really interesting question because I'm not sure that there's like one breakthrough piece. I think it's all sort of this accumulative incremental building at one point back then when I was still living in Albany, our apartment, my my now husband and I, our apartment was really small and dark and old and it was north facing on like a narrow cobblestone street. Like it was a lovely little apartment and it will always hold a place in our like sentimental memory because it was our first place together, but it was not conducive to plant life. Um, so I had moved cross country with some plants. We had acquired more plants while I worked at Whole Foods and the environment just, um, it wasn't working. So plants started dying, uh, the first winter that I was there and that might've been partially environmental and also my own inexperience with lots of plants. But I started stitching memorial pieces to the dead house plants, um, and around the same time is when I started sharing work on Instagram. And I had been sharing the card work that I was doing and the geometric and sort of line-based pieces I was making. But the reaction to when I started sharing the stitched plants was just on a whole different level than any of the work I had shared up to that point. And it was just this beautiful convergence of like, oh, this is what I'm really excited about making. And the people I'm showing seem to be equally excited about this. Like, let's just kind of run with it and see where it goes. Yeah. And what, so what year was that, that you really started stitching more and more plants? So it was actually around the same time. It was right at the end of 2014. And those pieces were taking longer to make the plant pieces because before I had really just been stitching things with straight lines and the plants kind of took it into doing a lot of satin stitch, which is like a filling stitch to create areas of color. I think because they were, the pieces were taking longer, I was sort of adjusting my prices a little bit, asking for a little bit more. And that was creating a little bit more financial freedom and security. And so it was just all this kind of interconnected sort of organic shifting that was happening. And I think at one point I felt like I had really, really made it because I had posted on Instagram, like sort of a flat lay styled photo of maybe four or five different plant pieces together. And a woman commented and said, I'd like to buy all of these. Like, here's my email, please invoice me. And I was just like, oh, like this, there's, this is a whole different 
level of excitement and engagement and willingness to invest in the work than I had experienced up to that point. Can you talk about what the inspiration was for starting your pattern program? I mean, it's something that you've done for so long. You're still doing it today. Yeah, I started writing patterns in 2016, uh, in March of 2016. So I was, yeah, a couple years into full-time self-employment. By that point, my online presence had really grown, uh, particularly on Instagram, but also um, on Etsy. That's like kind of a different thing than social media, but my shop had gotten a lot of traction on Etsy. And I was starting to see my work repeated back to me, in some cases in very, very direct ways, and in other cases, sort of more derivative of my own work. But I was seeing a lot of inspired by Sarah K. Benning pieces uh, and was at the same time like struggling to make ends meet and working around the clock to to because at that point the only product I had to offer the only source of my income was finished embroideries and my pricing at the time was a little bit out of whack so I wasn't really fully compensating myself for the time that I was putting into each piece and I was reaching a, another breaking point. It, it, you know, I was back to that 80 hours a week and just kind of scraping by where I was back when I had a regular job. So it wasn't working for me anymore. And so writing digital embroidery patterns um, was an idea that I had to kind of alleviate both of those stresses to offer instruction to people who were feeling inspired by what I was doing but might also want to compensate me for that knowledge and experience and um, work while also getting to do the project themselves. And it was a way of creating some more passive income. It's not entirely passive because I do design a new pattern every single month. And there's a lot of work that goes into that from just creating a concept and doing the actual drawing and designing. And I usually stitch several samples and then photographing each step and writing the directions and marketing all of that. But it's a lot more passive than relying only on hand-stitched artworks um, because the digital component allows as many people as want uh, to access that. And it was definitely an experiment. I think at the time back in the start of 2016, I thought like, well, you know, I'll do this. And if 10 people buy it, that feels like it was worth the time that went into it. And the first pattern I released, I don't remember now how many sold in the first day, but it was a lot more than 10. And it was sort of like, I imagine it feels like what it might feel like when you win the lottery, where it's just like this incredible windfall. That's what it felt like. Um, and it, yeah, it was great. <laughs> and it's still great, although it's been approaching five years since then. And so five years of monthly patterns is a lot of designing. Mm -hmm. uh, I have taken a few breaks here and there, but it's still a, it's an important part of my studio. I think it's, I think of it as sort of, I guess the financial backbone of what I do and the, the income that's generated from these digital patterns allows me a little bit more flexibility to pursue my other creative work that um, may or may not sell, may or may not connect with people. Yeah. And you've said that your embroidery is something that you would be doing. It's what you do on your day off. You talk a lot on your Instagram about 
achieving this work-life balance. You said you've worked like 80 hour weeks. How is that going now that you've kind of stabilized your business with patterns? Um, how is it going that work-life balance? Oh. And what have you found that you could share with us? Yeah. So I've not achieved it. <laughs> I honestly, at this point, I'm like, is it actually just a complete myth, this idea of, of balance? Um, and what does that even mean? You know, because I, I feel pulled sometimes in the direction of, well, I'm enjoying my work. So does it matter if I'm working 80 hours a week? Like as long as I'm feeding myself and taking care of my body, getting up and moving around because embroidery is pretty stationary. And, you know, so is it a problem that I'm like that invested in work? But then at other times, I think I use that dedication to my studio almost as an excuse to not engage or in reality or, or take care of other things. Um, so I don't know, that's all just a back and forth that's constantly happening in my head. But some of the, some freedom in my life I have regained because a couple years ago, my husband officially joined the studio and is an employee of Sarah K. Benning Studios. So we're both employed by, we're an LLC at this point. And so we're employed by that entity and now kind of split the workload. So, and actually we're, we're it's a weird time to hire someone to come work in our house because of COVID, but um, that is something that we're kind of working towards this year. If we can figure out the logistics of it, uh, I think we've reached a point where we really need another set of hands to keep the studio functioning and not growing. We're not in interested in like endless growth. Um, but what we are interested in is reclaiming more of our personal time or, you know, to get into really like real life, more personal things. Like we are thinking about, well, what, what would we need to have in order to start a family? And right now that doesn't feel like an option because we're both working so much to kind of keep things going and meet the demand and have stability. So, so I think that was a big part of it was recognizing that I couldn't do everything by myself. And luckily in my case, having a partner, sort of a, a partner in life also be willing to be a partner in the business. And, and we've started outsourcing some things like some of the more the, the aspects of running a business that neither of us have a real deep interest in, like bookkeeping, mm -hmm. that's not either of our like intelligence. So we're, we outsource that to someone who, who knows what they're doing <laughs> and tax times a lot, a lot better with a bookkeeper. Yes. Like it is, you know, it's an additional expense that we need to make sure we're accounting for and, and, and covering but the peace of mind that comes with having someone else kind of be keeping an eye on some of that and keeping us organized and having the expertise that we don't have has been like the peace of mind far outweighs the amount of money that we're spending on that. Um, yeah, I'm interested in like scientific ways to make yourself happier. And one of the things they do is say to outsource the things that you that you can outsource, you can afford to. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about, you know, you have given yourself a little more time to experiment. Can you talk a little bit about what you're working on? Because I really see that as sort of, you know, that's really kind of like a future for you. Yeah, yeah. So I'm actually really excited about it. And it kind of came from, well, it's like, 
a very slim personal silver lining uh, that came out of COVID lockdowns at the beginning or last spring. Um, and I was supposed to travel and visit my sister who happens to live in Japan and that trip got canceled. And so instead of just, we had already accounted for two weeks away from home, two weeks away from work. We had put everything in order to, to have time off. So even though we couldn't go on the trip that we had planned, I decided to still give myself two weeks of time off, not just to sort of lounge around at home or work on home projects, but I decided to approach those two weeks as an stay at home artist residency, where I just granted myself permission to pursue any kind of creative idea that came into my head and follow tangents and be open to experimentation and play, which I don't always make enough space for when I'm just running the day-to-day -day of, of the studio and making sure all of the schedules are, are on track and things like that. Um, and it was such a valuable two weeks um, because I eliminated, I sort of extracted myself from the cycle of making, trying to predict what work is going to like land with my audience and what people are going to react to. And kind of took all of those other voices out of my head and just really tried to focus on my own instinct and creative drive. And what resulted was actually two different bodies of work. One was a series of pieces that I made from the scraps of fabric that were cut off of finished embroideries. So once I'm done stitching an embroidery hoop, I cut the corners of the fabric off and like glue or stitch down the extra like fringe of fabric in the back to secure it. And I've just been sort of compulsively saving these off-cut corner pieces. And for the past several years, saving the scraps of thread that I'm snipping off when I'm changing colors or whatever. And so one of the bodies of work I made during this at-home residency, self-directed residency, was this series of patchwork pieces where I sewed together all these off-cut fabrics and then stitched those onto more fabric stretched around um, wooden frames. And I stuffed them with the thread scraps. So, and this was all just like one decision leading to another with no final goal in mind, which is not usually how I work. Um, mm -hmm. Like I normally, you know, have a drawing and then I'm filling it in rather than just like starting stitching and seeing what happens. Um, and so, yeah, I made this series of, I have been calling them puffy patchworks and they're just very weird and abstract. And, and honestly, the public reception of them, I won't say it was bad. It's not like anyone was writing to me saying, I hate this, but it also wasn't, you know, it wasn't that like jackpot moment of houseplants, um, mm -hmm. which is also fine because it was one of the most sort of satisfying series of work that I've had the privilege to make in a really long time um, because it was coming from this like totally personal place and it wasn't about you know what is the market going to be interested in right now mm -hmm. which as a working artist is like this weird balance that you've got to strike um, and then the other body of work which is more ongoing is a mix of painting acrylic painting and thread so 
it's been really fun. I have several pieces kind of in progress right now that I kind of work on when I can. Um, and they are also kind of like nights and weekends projects because they're not really a part of like the business that I'm running right now. Um, but it's been fun to sort of play with mixing color. I've been working with a set palette of thread colors for the past seven years, um, which is its own kind of creative pursuit to combine from that limited palette. But mixing paint has been really, really fun, getting to kind of invent and tweak and adjust and manipulate the color. And then also it's allowing me to work a lot larger. Um, up to this point, the my most of my work exists in the three to nine inch mm-hmm. realm. So it's all really small. But I finished a piece last year that I think is I don't remember the dimensions exactly off the top of my head, but maybe like 20, 20 by 24 inches. So it's a significant jump in scale. And it's because I was able to lay down like large areas of paint, painted color, and then kind of just use the thread to embellish and add patterns and accents on top. And it's still a slow process, but to stitch like a 20 by 24 inch piece would take me probably five years. And this took five months. So it, I'm excited about the potential to sort of stretch in different directions. And I'm hoping that I've been somewhat avoidant of gallery systems throughout my career. It's not something that I've sought out. I've been able to just sort of market my work directly to consumers and collectors and clients and customers and But I also am getting, I'm finding myself wanting to have work displayed where people can see it and interact with it in real life without having to like be the collector, um, to have my work in public spaces. And, um, and I think teeny tiny, it's not impossible. Lots of people do it, but teeny tiny embroideries are a harder item to market to gallery spaces than pieces that kind of take up a little bit more wall real estate. Mm-hmm. You know, I've participated in small work shows that works out really well, but, but I think this new body of work will kind of open doors into new spaces that I've not really gone into yet. So yeah, hopefully, although I don't know. <laughs> well, I think it's important that I think, especially for artists, whether, you know, it's your business or, you know, your side hustle or whatever you want to call it. It's important to experiment and grow because your puffy patchwork piece. I mean, when I was at your house working on the book, I think you showed me something from college that you had created that when I saw the patchwork piece, it sort of reminded me of that where you're kind of like using discarded materials and repurposing them. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that I've I've been thinking about that kind of cyclical thing a lot recently because when I was in college I was making really abstract work that was rooted in sort of repetitive process and and repetitive movements and then just mark making so I did a series of pieces where I was just poking holes in paper and it would sort of create this topographical kind of effect on the paper and I think that's when I left school I was like I don't I don't know what I'm going to do with a bunch of like big abstract paper pieces. Like we didn't really have space in our apartment to make that kind of work or store that kind of work. And I think that's what 
I loved about embroidery, it was it had the same repetition to it, but then I could use it to make pictures, um, like representational images. And, and now I find myself, um, especially with these painted mixed media pieces, where I'm painting the image and then using the thread to create patterns on top of the paint. And it also feels like this sort of nod back to these abstract pieces, because even if it's like some kind of grid work in the background of a plant still life, there's sort of this abstract element of using the thread in patterns and repetitions on top of the paint. So, I mean, yeah, it's all, I don't know, everything is connected and informing everything else. And, um, and it is so, I've just rediscovered for myself how fun it is to, to just play mm-hmm. and not really worry about the outcome as much. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for chatting. I could chat for like hours with you about your work. <laughs> it's so wonderful. Where can people find you on social media? What's the best place? Yeah, Instagram is, I guess, the best place. It's just at Sarah K. Benning, and that's Sarah with an H. And then my work also lives on my website at sarahkbenning.com. Uh, that's where if anyone is interested, you can find pattern program information. That's where I sell my original work and we have prints. Um, that's where my email address is. So you can always get in touch over there. Right. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for the opportunity to talk a bit about my work and process and journey. I really appreciate it. I hope that you enjoyed the latest episode of the Top Artist Podcast. Thanks to Sarah for chatting with us. If you like what you hear, tell a friend and please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way in helping other people to find out about our show. We'll be back soon with more conversations with inspiring artists. And don't forget, in the meantime, you can get your fix of art and culture at mymodernmat.com. If you're a member, you'll get an ad-free reading experience and other great perks while helping to support the site. Just click the membership link at the top of the screen. 